You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Happy Monday, everybody. We at least have half of Bick and the Boss. Bick Nazar away for a couple more days, but we will be reunited. And oh, it will feel so good. Greg Ballot, you'll have to have that song uh, ready on Wednesday when Bick returns to the big chair. It is Craig McEwen, the boss. Uh, happy to be joined today by Raja Shergill, who is um, doing double duty. He's not only hosting this show, he's also producing the uh, People's Show as well. So, Raja, uh, hats off to you and uh, your ability to multitask and do more than what I'm doing this week. <laughs> well, yeah, you've done a lot, C-Mac, and, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to fill in for Bic the best I can because uh, this is usually what Bic does. He does a great job producing the People Show and does a fantastic job keeping you in check here as well on Bic and the Boss. See, you're talking about filling shoes. That's exactly what you're doing. You, you have big shoes to fill, but, man, we just wouldn't have asked anyone to try to be Bic. Like, th- this is something that, you know, I- I'm not asking, you know, Jamie Dodd to be Bic. I'm not asking Josh Elliott Wolf to be Bic. No, Raja, I've tapped you to be Bic. So you're doing what he normally does a Monday to Friday here at Sports at 650. So no pressure. Oh, no, no pressure. I don't feel any pressure. I, I score under pressure. I thrive under pressure, uh, C-Mac. So, you know, I'm excited to be here back in the 1 o'clock slot. Last week I was here doing it with uh, Randeep, who who claimed that he was going to be the boss part of Bick and the Boss. Yeah. But uh, yep. I'm, I'm glad to see that you're finally back. Yeah, so am I, actually. Yeah, I'm not so sure how good a boss Randeep would actually be. But we can talk about that and a whole lot more here. On Bick and the Boss, uh, should remind you that the show is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Give yourself the Avenue advantage and stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. Of course, this is a fully interactive program, and you could take part by uh, chiming in on the Dunbar Lumber text inline text inbox uh, 650 650. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver or online at DunbarLumber.com. Lots going on over the weekend, and and we saw a couple wins for the local teams, the Lions and Whitecaps. And probably the biggest news, though, uh, Raja, was the simple fact that uh, there was an offer sheet given over the past few days the uh, Carolina Hurricanes going full troll. Uh, that's what you kids call it on Twitter, right? When you when you do things yeah, like I that. Yeah, I believe so. You're, you're, yeah. you're trolling someone. Uh, and uh, offering up uh, Jesperi Kokanyemi a one-year $6.1 million deal. And listen, this has been a topic of conversation all day long here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks, how – the quotes that were used were identical to the quotes that um, were given a couple years back when the same thing happened, but in reverse for Sebastian Ajo. So right down to bonuses with numbers of jerseys of players like this, this is a little bit nasty, isn't it? uh, Raja in the simple fact that tit for tat, maybe ownership Tom Dundon was waiting for his opportunity to make life miserable for Montreal. And all of a sudden he, he throws this their way and says, Hey, match it or don't, but I'm going to make your life miserable for at least the next few days. 
Yeah, he is going to make his life miserable and obviously a lot of pettiness to do to doing this offer sheet. But, you know, I think when you look at it and, and from an NHL storyline point of view and what we talk about and what a lot of fans talk about, that's the, the sexy story, right? The fact that there is an offer sheet and the fact that there is a little bit of revenge to this as well. But also at the same time, there, there are very smart hockey decisions being made by the Carolina Hurricanes as well. And listen, I'm not a big fan of Jesperi Kotkaniemi, but also... Also, at the same time, to, to put an offer sheet in for a 21-year-old player who was just drafted third overall a handful of years ago, who has a lot of upside still, I do think that this is a, a, an organization in Carolina that knows that they are on the cusp of winning a Stanley Cup, that they can actually get to that if they do a little bit uh, more in terms of adding players to their roster. And this is a guy that they obviously think could could uh, help them get to the next step. And so from that point of view, I like the fact that a team like the Carolina Hurricanes are, are able to put aside any sort of, you, you, you know, bad feelings that the management level of the NHL has towards signing offer sheets and just playing a, a gentleman's game or having that sort of rules intact. I like the fact that they just say, to hell with that. We're going to do whatever it takes to make our team better. And, and they that's what they do with, by, you know, trying to make an offer sheet for Kotkaniemi. Overpaying. Uh, I mean, th- that's the one thing. And again, you don't make these offer sheets and make them palatable for the team that you're trying to stick it to, especially in the case where, you know, revenge, as they say, is a dish best served cold or uh, in this occasion on the ice. But bottom line, the Carolina Hurricanes do believe that this would help their team. And you mentioned their window and where they're at. Uh, Elliot Friedman uh, was on in the Fan 590 in Toronto. And Elliot was asked, you know, so the offer sheet is made, and what do the Habs do now? could announce they're matching or not matching. I'm going to look like a complete idiot. But the last information I got was, you know, they're going to take a bit of time here and they're going to see all of a sudden the Montreal Canes know if they want to, they have an extra first and third round pick. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to shop the contra- those picks around and say, look, if we decide we're not going to match, we have these extra picks. What can we do with them? Is there a player we can get that is going to be able to work for us that we can get for this? And, I, and, I, and I'm sure you've heard it already. We talked about it on our podcast. Uh, Eric Engels wrote about it. I, I do think one guy they're going to take a long look at is going to be Christian Dvorak from Arizona. Um, you know, Dvorak's an interesting player. Like, I think he's a really good player. He doesn't get a lot of attention, but I, I think he's a really good player. And the other thing about Dvorak is he's signed for four more years at four and a half million. Like, you know, like all of a sudden, if you're Montreal, you've got Kakanyemi at 6.1 this year. And, you know, some people pointed out that Montreal t- could take him to something called cut rate arbitration next year, where, where you can make the sal- argue for the salary to be at 85% of the current deal. Well, even if you do that, it's just, it's almost 5.2 million. So you know that from here on in with Kotkaniemi, even if you negotiate, even if you go to cut rate arbitration or you negotiate a long-term extension with him, 
it's probably around $5 million now. He's And Montreal, with, during this whole situation, they were negotiating with him at, I think, just under $2.5 million. That's what they were looking at. So I think, I think Montreal, Justin, is going to take these picks and they're going to look around the league and they're going to see what they can do. And I think part of this process before they make their decision is, is there somebody, whether it's Dvorak or someone else, that they can get and say, okay, we like this solution better than Kotkaniemi at this number. And I think that's going to be a big part of Montreal's week. Yeah, and, and Roger, listen, you have to look at the numbers here. Like I said, the the, the 6.1 offer sheet is too much for Kakanyemi right now in his progression where he is as a hockey player. Listen, last season he had five goals and 15 assists through 56 games. He, he found himself scratched a couple times in the playoffs. Emerging player, yes, and probably fits into what Carolina wants to do. And, and they're buying this for the future. But yeah, the Habs, when it comes to this decision, are going to have to look the dollars and cents and see, hey, how much do we really like this guy? How much does he project out for us? Because he's making more money now than Phil Deneau, who is an awfully good hockey player from Montreal, who's obviously moved on. Yeah, and look, from Montreal's perspective, or sorry, from Carolina's perspective, that's the reason why you give that overpayment in the first place is because you do believe that Montreal is very unlikely to match the offer sheet. That's the best opportunity that you have to bring him on your to bring him on your roster. And so when you look at it from her, the Carolina's point of view, especially in the long term, what they're going to have to do next year is renegotiate that number, right? And if he still remains at that 30 to 35 point pace where he's kind of been in and around. I think last year, if he had played a full 82 games, uh, he was going to be just under 30 points and, and his career high is 34. Then it's pretty reasonable to suspect that he's going to be in and around that point mark. So that number to me, C-Mac is only at around three, three and a half million dollars. So what's going to have to have to happen is that he is going to have to sign that number back with Carolina the following year uh, if he wants a multi-year deal. Or he can just tell Carolina, no, you know what, I'll just accept my my qualifying offer and get another $6.1 million. And, and, and that way, Carolina is a little screwed. But the fact of the matter is the Hurricanes will get him for a little bit of an overpayment this year. But the biggest thing is going to happen is the biggest thing that we're going to have to see is what happens in the following years and what kind of a contract that he does sign because he does have a little bit of leverage in that he can also hit hit up the UFA market and see what every team around the NHL is willing to give him. Yeah, and as Elliot Friedman mentioned there, the the Montreal side of things, they look at the number, is this is where we project him to be out. It's an overpayment right now, as you mentioned, Raja. And as Fried pointed out, the Habs are going to start shopping these potential picks around. What can we get? Who can we bring in here? So what Montreal does or doesn't do over the next few days is going to be a hot topic of conversation. And earlier this morning on Halford and Bruff in the morning with Joey Kenward and Adam Forsythe, they had Ren Lavoie from TVA on the show. And basically, Ren said, hey, you know what the Habs should do? They should punt. If I'm him, I hope the Canadians are not matching that contract for many yeah. reasons because if you're making six million dollars you're going to be one of the highest forward uh salary wise with the canadians uh if you're not producing uh if he's got like four or five goals by january 1st people are going to be on his back and when people are on somebody's back here in montreal it, it, it it's 
uh, obviously, it's a little bit like in Vancouver, right? It's not nice. It's not something that you want in your career. So he's putting a ton of pressure on himself, uh, which is okay. I mean, who's going to, you know, you're, you're 20 years old. Somebody, somebody's offering you $6 million to play next season. For sure, you're going to sign. For sure, you're going to say yes. There's no reason to say no, okay? But at the same time, let's say the Montreal Canadiens are matching that contract. There's a big difference between playing in Montreal or Vancouver or playing in Carolina. Those two markets are real hockey markets. Carolina is not a real hockey market. But here in Montreal, yeah, I understand the situation. But if things turn sour, uh, it, it could go downhill. And it could be really tough for uh, the rest of his career. Maybe it's going to be a game changer. Well, Raja, shocking Ren would suggest that the fans, or, or dare I say Twitter, would uh, get upset about something like this. And, and Twitter, of course, was abuzz this weekend with, the simple fact that, okay, you know, what do the Canadians do? Do they match? Do they not match? Or maybe do they offer sheet someone? And the fact of the matter is there's a couple of good hockey players here in Vancouver right now still looking for deals. And if you go full nuclear and you decide that you, you want to look at someone like Elias Pettersson, perhaps, I, I'm of the opinion that that's a reach and a stretch. Because as we've seen here a little bit, uh, Raja, the simple fact of the matter is when you offer sheet someone, you just open yourself up to some retaliation down the road. Well, exactly. And, and that's what's happened here, essentially, right? But look, if you're going to look at the players here in Vancouver, and most notably Elias Pedersen, if you're going to say that Montreal is going to try and do something like that with the Vancouver Canucks, you got to understand, like, why do offer sheets really happen in the first place? A lot of these things happen because of the fact that teams are in a tough situation cap-wise and the ownership group or the management group or whatever it is are, are also in a, a little bit of a bind uh, financially as well. And that's kind of why the Montreal Canadiens were able to go and give the offer sheet to Sebastian Ajo a couple of years ago because we knew that how tight financially Tom Dundon and those Carolina Hurricanes were, especially at that time. And that's why Dundon was, was really you know, took that offer sheet personally. And that's kind of what we're seeing now play out as well, a part of that. So when, with the Vancouver Canucks, yeah, the cap uncertainty is is definitely a real thing in Vancouver. But at the same time, Jim Benning has mentioned that he is going to go out and match any offer sheet. So whatever that number is for the Vancouver Canucks, whatever that number is for Pedersen, the Canucks are going to do whatever it takes to make space. So I don't think that it's a situation where Vancouver is necessarily worried about an offer sheet. And because of their you know, relaxed, I guess, demeanor in this situation, to me, that makes it unlikely because you need to be able to put pressure on a team. And sure, the Canucks might have to move some players around, move some money around to make it work. But at the end of the day, I don't see a situation where it's that much uh, pressure on the Canucks. If that does come down, they'll just figure out a way to match it. Yeah, and, and history tells us that, you know, for the majority of the time, people do match these offers. And as Elliot Friedman so uh, aptly pointed out on the fan earlier today in Toronto as well, he said that this tit for tat where you offer sheet one of our guys and, and we offer sheet yours back, maybe right away or maybe in a few years, has been going on for quite some time. 
Yeah, like I've seen people speculate that this is going to put more of a chill. I don't buy that, really. Um, you know, like we've seen this in the past where teams did this to each other. You go back to uh, Vancouver over a decade ago, offer shooting David Backus, and then the Blues came back and they offer shooting Steve Bernier. So it's not like revenge offer sheet shouldn't happen before or uh, like haven't happened before. Um, you know, if you ask a lot of teams why they don't do offer sheets, you get a lot of reactions like, A, they don't expect to get the player. I remember people telling me after the Nashville one with Shea Weber was matched by the Predators after Philadelphia did it, people were saying, you know, if, if Nashville was going to match that one, nobody was ever not going to match one. And, you know, so there was... They considered it inflationary at certain levels of um, players' salaries. And also, they just said, look, like you know at some point in time, somebody's going to come back and they're going to get their revenge. So I don't think this is anything new. I believe, like, I know there's a lot of talk about the spite about this, and that's what we all like on social media. But I legitimately do believe that the Hurricanes like the player. And they were talking trade with Montreal for them. Montreal, they couldn't work out a deal. They wanted the player. They're allowed to talk to the player because he's a restricted free agent. They discussed different kinds of terms. And, you know, they they made their offer sheet because I think they want the player. And all of this other stuff around it was kind of secondary, albeit more entertaining for a lot of fans. And Raja, and in this case, the the player definitely wants them because, as, as you aptly put about the money, that that's the most important part. But Carolina sees value in here, but I don't suggest that we're going to see the Habs go out and offer sheet anyone. Far more likely is they're going to do what Elliot said earlier here, is shop those picks around, see what they can do and bring someone in because – you don't want a situation where Kakanyemi's on your team and he's making that much money and that puts your rest of your internal pay structure or internal cap, let's call it, out of whack. Yeah, and listen, like to me, again, as I mentioned it earlier, it comes down to what's going to happen with Kakanyemi next season. So even if Montreal does choose to go ahead and sign this deal, next year we can be looking at a number for Kakanyemi that's a lot lower. So that doesn't necessarily, to me, make me a whole uh, worried if I'm if I'm a member of a Montreal Canadiens fan base. However, where do the Cavs go when it comes to addressing their center ice position after this? Like, they they have been looking for a center iceman for almost a decade or more than a decade, C-Mac. Like, since Saku Koivu left, essentially, who has been their top center iceman? Right, and it's been very tough to find that position. It's obviously one of the most premier positions of the National Hockey League. So that's another situation that you got to look at: is how do they address that afterwards? And and Elliot Friedman did mention it uh, in that answer that Christian Dvorak is a guy that they're looking at who plays up the middle for the Arizona Coyotes. Those are the kinds of moves that they're going to have to try and see what they can get out of it. And and it's going to be interesting to see exactly how this plays out for Montreal because they do have a lot of balls in the air. And and that's the tough part as Tom Dundon has really put that pressure on Mark Bergevin now. Well, it's time for us to put a little pressure on the listeners of this show for a little feature that we do every day about 20 past the hour, give or take a few seconds or sometimes minutes. It's uh, Don't At Me.
Uh, Raja, don't at me. There is no way that uh, Pedersen's getting an offer sheet from Montreal or anyone for that matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, here's uh, the other part of this argument, C-Mac. Uh, Pedersen has to accept the offer sheet. I think yes. people kind of forget that part, right? It's, it's Even if Montreal or any other team wants to do that, the player still has to sign the deal. And uh, Pedersen's going to get his money. He's going to get his money by the Vancouver Canucks. He's going to get his money by any team. So there's not necessarily any you know risk factor there. Pedersen knows that he's going to get paid. And I think that he would like to stay in Vancouver if I had to guess. Uh, this one in the uh, Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Don't at me from Marcus and Gibsons. KK goes to Carolina and set careers, highs, in all statistical categories. Listen, you know, as much as we all kind of say, hey, this is, the, this is the hurricane sticking it to him. When you do a move like this, Raja, you have to be willing to take the player back. So, obviously, they, they like the player. Obviously, the player likes them, or he wouldn't have signed the the offer sheet. So, bottom line, yeah, it, it appears that you know they, they believe that there are there's bigger and better things to come for Cock and Yemi. Yes, no, completely, and that's the part of the gamble when you sign a player to that much money is that you hope that you know he can have a better year than what you kind of expect and he can outlive that contract. I don't think he's going to do that necessarily. Saying that, I, I'm not a big fan of Cock and Yemi. Um, just going off that text, can I also say one thing? Um, no, you can't say one thing. This is talk radio. What do you think? Yes, you can say one thing. Come on, Roger. Don't at me. Can we stop calling him KK? That's got to be the worst <laughs> nickname. Come on. Kot Kanyemi, like, K, where's the second K? It's in the middle of the name somewhere. It would make more sense if it was JP, JK or something like that. But regardless, it's not that hard of a name to pronounce. Kot Kanyemi. Thank you, Raja. Thank you. Go ahead. You, you, listen, I'm the old man of the show. Quit stealing my character, okay? And, and getting <laughs> getting all, uh, all grumpy and going at people. That, this might be like Reach's character. Doesn't he love like mispronouncing names? Yeah, or, or, or adding some Italian. KK! Or whatever his bad <laughs> Italian would be. Uh, you're listening to uh, Bick and the Boss, Craig McEwen and Raja Shergill filling in. Uh, hey, Raja, don't at me. Uh, BC has some of the best fishing in the world. Uh, the reason I say this, and I don't know if you saw this story, but former NHL netminder Pete Peters, who was a thorn in my side uh, growing up as I was a Caps fan, and it, it just seemed like he, he would be great in the regular season and couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Anyways, he was sturgeon fishing with some uh, buddies near Chilliwack. And get this, he caught an 11-and-a-half-foot fish on <laughs> August the 15th up the uh, Fraser River, sturgeon fishing. I, I highly recommend it to anyone who's never done this. This is, like, unbelievable. I had the good fortune of doing it a few years ago, and, it, and it's like pulling a couch off the bottom of the uh, uh, river, and they jump and they fight. It's great. But, yeah, a massive fish by uh, Pete Peters, who kind of joked that he's not used to this fame. He used to make other people famous, like giving up goals to Gretzky and Lemieux, that sort of thing. So, yeah, BC, best fishing around. That's a, I've seen the picture. That's a big fish. That's a fish that would make Brendan Morrison proud. Yeah, BMO has uh, his own fishing show. Uh, yep. He, he uh, loves to uh, fish, and he's, I've seen he's been up the river as well. And so, like I said, any of you ever have an opportunity to do that, uh, by all means, uh, just, just get out there and, and, and enjoy. 
Uh, this uh, from Rager. Don't at me, but offer sheet season should happen every year. Yeah, there's a thought, isn't there, that everyone just is too nice in hockey, yeah. Raja? You know, this is a, a, a win-now business, and the fact of the matter is we don't see this very often. It, it, it's a mechanism that's put in place. It's pretty punitive for the, the team that's offering up lots of different ways that you can, you know, lose a number of top picks. But bottom line, it sure would, you know, help our lives as talk show radio hosts have this happen a little bit more often. But you just don't see it uh, all that uh, much in the National Hockey League. You ask a lot of general managers and they'll tell you there's no handshake agreement. There's no gentleman's deal. Um, but, you know, there's no bad it's not bad etiquette to do it. However, we know that there is, right? Like they're not doing it at all because of these kinds of, you know, the retaliations that we've seen, uh, just like this one, just like the David Backus one that was mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, there obviously is sort of some sort of some sort of deal, I guess, that the GMs have. Maybe not a deal, but just sort of, you know, it's something that's known to not do, and it's bad etiquette to do it. Um, I wish that you kind of got rid of that thought, and maybe down the line we'll see more and more because it is obviously great great uh, interaction for the fans, great entertainment for the fans. And it's kind of sad that in the National Hockey League, this is the uh, biggest story that's happening around the NHL that makes for entertainment because that's one of the biggest critiques that a lot of fans have of, of watching hockey. Uh, Craig McHugh and Roger Shergill, keep those uh, submissions coming here on Bick and the Boss and the Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. Lots more hockey talk on the way, including a discussion with Sarah Sivian of the Athletic Carolina Hurricanes reporter. We will dive into revenge and why this was really done and what they think about KK, Roger, when we return here on Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, a friendly reminder that Bick and the Boss is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Give yourself the Avenue advantage and stay under the cap by saving thousands on select Kubota skid steers and excavators. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. We spent the first part of the uh, program talking about an offer sheet to Jesperi Kokinyemi by the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. And and we will dive into the the, the hockey-related uh, matters. But what we really want is the uh, the dirt as to why this was. And, and was this just a revenge ploy uh, by the Canes, who obviously had something happen in reverse a few years ago with Sebastian Ajo in Montreal? So joining us on the line to talk more about uh, that in a few moments will be... Uh, Sarah Sivian of the Athletic and and Raja, when you when you when you look at this, I, I know it's a hockey decision, uh, but part of it is the Canes also wanting to stick it to the Habs and making them make a difficult call. Yeah, you know what? And a lot of people obviously do believe it's about revenge, and I I definitely believe that as well. But I'm going to be uh, interested to ask, ask Sarah what she thinks Tom Dundon's reaction was when the offer sheet for Aho came down, right? And how much truly does that play into it? Because, look, everybody is saying that it has a lot to do with revenge. It has a lot to do with pettiness. Um, and, you know, and that's, in my eyes, that's true, but it'll be good to sort of get it from somebody who's who's very close to Tom Dundon and the Carolina Hurricanes organization as well. Listen, a couple years in the making, and y y you don't just look to do things 
for revenge because you have to be willing and wanting yeah. and able to take the player. Like you just couldn't throw an, an offer at anyone for that matter. But in this case, uh, when you look at it and you go, I'm the Carolina Hurricanes, we see something in this player, Kakanyemi, and, and that we want to uh, get him here or at least stick it to Montreal. Sarah now is on the line. Uh, welcome to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. And and let's start with the revenge because uh, this is a hockey decision, but, man, there just are so many layers here to the way the, the tweets were worded, to the, the bonuses put into it with certain numbers. <laughs> How did you view, review this, and, and was this fair play, kind of a nice return serve by Carolina? Yeah, I mean, it's in the rules. It's fair play. It's obviously petty. I'm not going to say it's not. And obviously, the tweets and everything are what they are. I think it's entertaining. I I am here for it. I mean, you can't – everybody knows you can't offer sheet somebody and not expect them to kind of come back harder at you. That's just like – it is retaliatory. But at the same time, the Canes definitely like the player. So it's kind of it's kind of tricky there. Sarah, do you remember going back a couple of seasons when the Montreal Canadiens offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo, what Tom Dungeon's reaction was? Yes, yes. And that reaction alone probably should have told you what was coming and it was going to be retaliatory. He was very, I don't know, amused, I'd say, eager to, to pay back, obviously. And, um, I don't know. He was amused. The whole thing was kind of amusing just because it seems like Bergevin and the Canadians were banking on him not being able to pay it. And I don't think that would annoy any, anything would annoy him more than that. So kind of the perfect storm. (laughs) Sarah Sivian from the athletic joining us, Carolina hurricanes reporter. And, And you mentioned that there was a thought at the time that he maybe didn't want to spend that type of money but when you have to wait a couple of years to do something, they obviously, the Canes, uh, took their their shot. But this is more than just that. I mean, yes, the pettiness of some of the tweets is, is great theater for all of us in talk radio and who yourself write uh, and cover the hockey team. But bottom line, they do see value in this hockey player obviously having to overpay a little bit, but the, the future is is definitely bright in the Canes' minds, isn't it, for Jesperi Kakanyemi? Yeah. Yeah. I think he has a lot of potential. If you actually get past um, the whole offer sheet and okay, he, if he signs with if the Canadians don't match it, I feel like he could fit in nicely on this team. It's kind of like a high octane offense. And I feel like there was definitely a bit of falling out with the Canadians and he kind of fell out of their favor where he's not in the lineup for some of the games and the way that he, his development was not botched, but kind of could have been handled better. And I feel like a fresh start will give him what he needs to be the player that he can be. Sarah, because if Montreal chooses not to offer, chooses not to accept this deal or, or match the offer sheet, then a first-round pick and a third-round pick goes towards the Habs. But when you do give up that much compensation from Carolina's point of view, do you kind of have to give him a multi-year deal next year despite the numbers that he puts up? Yeah, <laughs> I mean... You- if the Canes have taught us anything, it's that you don't have to do anything that traditionally should maybe happen. But, I, I mean, if he does well, um, I mean, even regardless, I guess, like, there, there's probably a wink and nod agreement there that they'd 
sign in for less money than this original deal here. Canes, uh, Canes uh, are poised to, you know, go for the Stanley Cup. That's what they want. That's why they're they're making this offer to to, to build out, you know, their team mm-hmm. and that. Uh, you, how will he fit in? You, you you said into the high octane, but but is this something that they are missing, or you know, are they again targeting because he's in Montreal? But you you look at what that player brings, Kakanyemi, his his stats obviously aren't blowing you away right now, mm-hmm. but with what, you know, Rod Brindamore can do with development and all that sort of stuff, it, it, what does he add and, and why is he such a good fit here? Um, the Canes need top six scoring from a winger. And I think that's where it's actually interesting. I feel like, and they've done this with Martin Natchez, they've done it with Sebastian Ajo his first few years. I think maybe putting him on the wing could give him a really good chance to kind of channel some of what Natus is doing actually and he's provided the Canes with a lot of scoring that like I they didn't know if it was going to pan out or not but I think maybe throwing him on the wing and like maybe next to Trocek and seeing what happens and also kind of phasing stall out in the center there if he ends up getting a, a longer term deal kind of he could fit in nicely there eventually I think so there's a few options and I think the Canes will probably look at all of them. Sarah Savian, our guest from The Athletic, covering the Carolina Hurricanes here on Bick and the Boss. Sarah, I want to switch gears to, you know, just looking at the Carolina Hurricanes uh, as a whole. And, and one of the big decisions that they made this year was to not pay Alex Nedeljkovic, who had a, a very tremendous season. He goes over to Detroit. But what are the expectations or, or what's the, you know, the, the sort of vibe surrounding the goalie situation and bringing in Frederick Anderson? Because that's obviously a player that they coveted for a long time uh, and then also also at the same time passing up on a goaltender who who seemed to have so much who seemed to have such a bright future ahead of him yeah and I personally think Ned will have a great future wherever he goes and um, I I think he's a great guy too but I think the Canes just didn't quite see him as a number one goalie that will bring them to the cup and they wanted more veteran presence there clearly and we'll see how that all pans out that's kind of that's a choice right like you had your guy there potentially, but they didn't see it like that. They thought the 29 games in the NHL just weren't enough of a sample, especially behind a defense that's as good as Carolina's. But, I mean, there's a great chance next year they look back and that kind of blows up in their face. But I see the thought process. Uh, Sarah, you see in Carolina that uh, Dougie Hamilton is now gone. Probably one of those guys that fans either loved or maybe they didn't like all that much, but you talk about the defense and, and how sound they are. You're not going to replace him, but but what do you see on the back end for the Canes now that Hamilton has, has moved along and, and what they can do here this season is, as hopefully hockey gets back to normal and we get to see all teams play each other, not just in one division. Yeah, it's a lot of guys on one-year deals. Um, it's kind of like a totally new team. There's like 14 new signings on this team right now. So one person can't replace Dougie, that's for sure. But maybe a few can, like a committee. I don't know. And we'll see. Like, it's, it's very hard to evaluate just because it's so many new faces. And it's kind of like it begs the question, why did he do so much when you already had a team that was right up there with kind of the lightning? And I feel like that's you didn't need to make so many changes, but and it's a high risk, like the more changes you make. But at the same time, I mean, it, they, they could be great. I like Cole. I like Bear. I mean, D'Angelo is good on the ice. I, obviously, there's off-ice questions there, but 
they're all pretty cheap. So I guess that's the direction the Canes were going in. And that's sort of what I was going to ask you, who I was going to ask you about next, Tony D'Angelo. They bring in him to this blue line who who obviously, as you mentioned, has off-ice issues. But is that a, a like, what was the conversations like with D'Angelo and his camp uh, with Tom Dundon uh, before bringing him in? And, and how do they expect that he can fit into this locker room despite any sort of issues that he may have had with the Rangers? Yeah, he actually credited Dundon for being somebody who actually, like, seemed excited about signing him when maybe the other, like, GMs and owners of teams, like, kind of weren't. But I guess Dundon just kind of told him, listen, like, this is your last chance. Be on your best behavior or you're done. Like, one mistake and you're done. So I'm sure he understands that he, he can't be, like, engaging in any funny business anymore. And we'll see what happens. But that's basically the conversation. I mean, I asked Tony if he what he's done to kind of prove that he's changed. And there wasn't that much of an answer, to be honest. But I guess actions speak louder than words, and we'll just have to see. Uh, we will have to see. Sarah, thanks so much for doing it. Really appreciate your time. I'm sure yeah. you've been inundated with requests uh, after this offer sheet, so we do appreciate you stopping by. Anything for my friends in Vancouver. Awesome. Yes, and, and, and maybe we might see you in Vancouver this year. Who knows? Dare to dream. Uh, I can only dream. Yeah, thanks so much, <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Have a great day. That's uh, Sarah Sivian from The Athletic joining us here on Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650, Craig McEwen and Raja Shergill. And uh, Raja, yeah, the, make no bones about it. Like Tom Dundon was was waiting to enact his revenge, and he picks his spot and, and overpays in a lot of ways, but that's what you do when you make an offer sheet to put the pressure on the other side. No, exactly. Right. That's that's what offer sheets are supposed to be. That's what uh, I think fans in the National Hockey League want to see more of, want to see more off ice trades and, and free agencies and star players on the move. But also this is a part of it as well. Right. Making a a much more entertaining off season. And look, it's, it's not the most entertaining of things necessarily, especially in comparison to other sports leagues around uh, North America. However, uh, look, it's still something that has got all of us interested and all of us excited again for the National Hockey League season and to see what exactly is going to play out. And this could also have a domino effect with other player movement, uh, what the Habs could potentially be doing with the first and the third round picks coming their way if they don't match the offer sheet. So all in all, it's, it's obviously a great thing for the National Hockey League for this to happen. And, and uh, you know, getting more rivalries, it's not going to obviously cause the players to make any sort of difference, but having more storylines to talk about um, throughout the season uh, is always going to be, uh, you know, fun. Yeah, and you mentioned trades and movement and what the Habs will do next there some suggestions and again I don't know how this could happen or would happen that perhaps now if they they don't match that maybe Jack Eichel could be someone that Montreal's looking at and and listen the the Eichel situation has been one that in my opinion, extremely difficult to navigate for a number of different reasons. One, the asking price by the Sabres, I mean, they want a futures deal. And it's hard to do that without taking some salary back, but they're looking at a top prospect or two plus high picks. Eichel changes his agent. Maybe that kickstarts thing. But bottom line, Jack Eichel does not want to be in Buffalo, and his health is of the utmost importance. And Elliot Friedman uh, was on and the radio station in Toronto, the Fan 590, 
And, you know, Elliot was asked about a moment recently that uh, all sides got together to air their grievances and whether that's going to help kickstart things when it comes to Eichel's recovery and uh, which way he goes in trying to solve his injury woes. Eichel had that tweet with the sad face. That was on the 19th. On the 18th, there was a long meeting with the league, the Players Association, the Sabres, Eichel, and, and, the, and the doctors, and it was in Buffalo. And, you know, I heard that, you know, nothing really had changed, that the Sabres said, no, we're not going to support this surgery. And, you know, I, I don't think that's changed. I, I just think, Brent, that, you know, one of the things that may happen here is, are they going to look at potentially a third opinion, another doctor, maybe take a look at them and say, you know, here's another idea, or what do I think has to happen here? Um, I don't really have a great answer in terms of will this change everything, but I do think that maybe what it means is this maybe goes out of the public view for a little bit. Yeah, and Raja, when when you're a star player and you, you want out and the team is asking a king's ransom, you have some injury problems. This is a difficult, difficult thing to navigate. It's very difficult. Here's what I don't necessarily understand about the injury and about the surgery. The fact that, look, Buffalo, they they were hesitant to, to give him that permission to get the surgery done. I think when they were hoping that he could still be coming back to the Sabres and, and you know, they would they thought that perhaps rehab or going a different direction would be better off for him. But with you guys, with the Sabres not doing the surgery now, what it seems to be doing is just bringing down the asking price and bringing down that trade price for a Jack Eichel because now whatever team brings him on, they're going to have to be without him probably for at least a couple of uh, a couple of a handful of weeks, maybe months into the season because we're already in in September almost. C-Mac, the season is is just about a month away, so they're whatever team's acquiring Jack Eichel, they're going to be missing him for a handful of games, and that to me is going to bring down the price, or at least the teams are hoping it would bring down the price a little bit. So it seems as if it would be a situation that the Buffalo Sabres would actually be, would benefit from if they were to grant him the surgery. But again, it's such a weird situation. You don't know how other teams view this situation either. You know, if, if the Calgary Flames or the New York Rangers are interested in Jack Eichel, which we have heard they are, you don't know how those uh, general managers and those doctors for those respective teams also view the situation for Jack Eichel and if they agree with the Sabres in saying that uh, the the surgery shouldn't happen. So it's it's an odd situation, but it seems like one to me that Buffalo would benefit, but who knows if that's really the case. Yeah, and you know what, here's the tough thing is for Eichel anyways, is the fact of the matter is he might get Pat Brisson a new agent and maybe Pat can open up some doors for him when it comes on the trade front or, or work his magic. Bottom line, the agent before was doing the same thing, and Buffalo doesn't seem to want to move here. They don't want to move on the surgery part, and when it comes to the prospects and players they want back in return for a Jack Eichel, they don't want to diminish that or take less, but your people who are going to be buying as the Sabres are selling are like, well, we don't know if he's 
damaged goods. We're not sure how he's going to be able to bounce back from a surgery or continuing to rehab. So, Raja, that's the tricky thing in this equation when it comes to making this type of deal because unless someone gives on this, i.e. the Sabres want to take a little bit less, or Eichel decides that, hey, this is how I'm going to get my uh, season underway. I won't do the surgery now. I don't see this happening or finishing up anytime soon. And as Friedman says, it might go quiet here for a little bit, but that's not good for Jack Eichel, who's looking for a new home. That's not good. And that's not good for hockey fans to be without a star player in the NHL next season. It's not good for, you know, it's a no-win situation for everybody, C-Mac, because as a hockey fan, I want to see Jack Eichel playing in the National Hockey League, whether it's for the Buffalo Sabres or whether it's for any other team, because he's a star player, and the NHL needs more of that. And to have one potentially be the storyline of the season because of, you know, this negative of a situation and because of how poorly it's been handled for the past number of months that's very that's tough to see and nobody wants to see that everybody would have hoped that you know we were talking about Jack Eichel uh, with a fresh start with an opportunity with whatever team he went to that was you know on the up and up and had real playoff aspirations and Jack Eichel would finally get to play in the postseason and those are the kinds of conversations that I think a lot of people were looking forward to because ultimately that's what you want out of star players and to have it go as far as it has in September with training camp getting underway probably in about two or three weeks from now it's it's a very negative situation not only for Buffalo but but I think NHL fans as a whole kind of lose out uh, as well. The complexity of everything is is really difficult to navigate the best of times. But when the window is closing, you're right, bang on. Uh, I would suggest this. March 13th, there's talk that there could be a Heritage Classic game between the Leafs and Sabres and Hamilton. I'm guessing Eichel won't be in that game. But could Eichel be going to the Olympics? Uh, Emily Kaplan Uh, tweeting out yesterday that it's been a moving target, but all signs point to a decision next week on whether NHL players are going to the 2022 Beijing Olympics or not. Sources I've talked to, that's Kaplan, suggest an agreement between the NHL, NHLPA, IHHF. Olympic committee is close, just down to some final items. Are they going to the Olympics, Raja? Uh, I think the National Hockey League players will be in the Olympics. It'll be great. Finally get to, as much as the uh, World Cup of Hockey, I was a fan of watching it and, and watching uh, the, the countries go at it in NHL-sized drinks with NHL rules. Uh, I think everybody agrees that the Olympics are the much better uh, international competition, and it means a lot more. So uh, it'll be great to see, even though it's going to be uh, tough to wake up in the morning and watch those games. I would say this, is that, I'm in agreement that they're going to say they're going to the Olympics, but the the problem with COVID, as we've seen time and time again, is that plans can change. It's yep. going to be really tight in China with the restrictions, and if things, hopefully they don't, but if they do get a bit out of hand, that uh, we might not see that. And you know what, that being said, as much as the hockey fan in me wants players to go to the Olympics and, and have this great international tournament that means so much to the players and, and to the fans of, of whatever country that you cheer for, um, the IOC has has not given the National Hockey League much reason to really go in the past 
right? They have given them the short stick time and time again, despite multiple opportunities to try and uh, come up with ways that the NHL can actually benefit from sending their players in the middle of their hockey season to go and go overseas and, and play, right? And it hasn't necessarily been uh, a great relationship. Hopefully that changes because the NHL has been, been getting the short stick for a long time. Uh, Craig McEwen, Raja Shurgill here on Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650. We will talk some football when we come back. We'll kick things off by getting Raja's thoughts on the season, his fantasy draft, and uh, what's the latest with uh, Deshaun Watson perhaps being a member of the Fish. That and a whole lot more here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Boss on the official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Craig McEwen, Roger Shurgill here on Pick and the Boss. Get ready to talk some football. Raja, are you ready for some football? A Monday night party. I will not sing that song for you. It's getting close, but it's getting close. Apparently, you you had your fantasy uh, draft. How did you do? I thought I did all right. The uh, title defense is underway now, C-Mac, or I guess it'll be underway on September the 9th. But the draft uh, is officially done. Got my 15 players or so. And listen, I'm ready to to put the championship on the line and and win some more money this year, C-Mac. Yeah, uh, so... When you look at it, and and we saw a number of injuries this weekend, Irv Smith going out, J.K. Dobbins, and and we'll dive into the the Ravens and all that uh, when in a few minutes. But drafting now, are are you at all worried that someone might pull a hammy here coming up in uh, in uh, <laughs> training camp, and you, and you might lose someone else? Oh, a little worried, but you know what? Like I think I I don't. Um, we were talking about this earlier, actually, uh, about the fact that some teams or some leagues just draft so early in the you know August the 15th or something and in the middle of preseason there's just people drafting their teams already that's a little too early because at that time you're still taking players like Travis Etienne and, and at that point he'd already uh, gotten hurt and missed the entire season so you kind of screw yourself but I think uh, with a maybe one preseason to go, maybe a, a couple of weeks before the season starts, it's it's cool because you know what the risk factor it's it's limited, but it's just enough to make you double think if you should take a guy or not, and have some players drop or raise in the rankings. I like it. I th- I like the risk that you that you can uh, take at this point of the year. So maybe I buried the league lead here but Raja you said you're defending your title is this the Sportsnet 650 one that you uh, this is not no No, that was uh, Sportsnet 650 championship two years ago last year don't ask me how I did in the pool uh okay I uh, I thought maybe I'd missed the memo or something you you had this big uh Sportsnet 650 one you didn't include the boss uh, no, no, that was uh, two years ago when I did win the Sports 651, uh, thanks to my boy Jameis Winston. I love him. Uh, he was my quarterback that year. Uh, last year, I don't think I even made the playoffs in the Sportsnet pool. Yeah, I'm I'm a former winner as well, and I haven't had a good couple years. Listen, <laughs> w- when you when you look at the NFL this year, what what excites you? What what intrigues you as a football fan and and someone who follows the game? 
Oh, what excites me. I just mentioned it. Jameis Winston, baby in New Orleans, being the uh, starting quarterback there, going for maybe another 30 and 30. I don't know. It, like, there's never a dull moment when Jameis Winston is on the field. So I love watching uh, Winston play. And, and listen, the offense situation in uh, with the Saints isn't great. No Michael Thomas for a little while. They'll have Marquez Calloway, Traquan Smith, I guess, and, and obviously Alvin Kamara. But what really excites me is Jameis Winston. And look, that's the, a team with the Saints that have had Super Bowl aspirations for the last couple of years. Maybe they're not there anymore because Drew Brees is no longer there. Uh, but it's still going to be an interesting year, and, and I'm excited to see how uh, Jameis is able to uh, take the reins as the starting quarterback after sitting out last year and, and learning a little bit from uh, Drew Brees. Yeah, beating out Taysom Hill. Not not surprising in my books, and, and we should mention that the Saints now are going to practice in Dallas because they've been displaced by Hurricane Ida. Yep. Let's hope that the damage down there, even though this was a Category 4 and Katrina was a Category 3, that the, the damage isn't as bad as it was. And our thoughts go to the people in New Orleans and also in the state of Mississippi as well with that uh, going through there. Some of the the talk over the weekend, Raja, as we stay on the quarterback train, was the fact that, you know, Deshaun Watson could be moved. There's so many layers here to, to Watson and his story with 20 or so women accusing him of some things that, you know, happened during massages that, that make this a very uh, difficult thing to, to navigate. And, and if you're looking at a, a trade, how do, you, how do you get someone like that who has all this hanging over his head? But the, the word on the street is uh, Randeep Janda's Dolphins. They're not Richo's Dolphins anymore. He dumped them for the Seahawks. But uh, the, the Dolphins are, are, are apparently interested in Deshaun. But Coach Brian Flores uh, said that they want players of high character on their football team. And they haven't confirmed or denied reports that they're looking at the situation with Deshaun possibly coming that way. But you would have to think if, if there is a trade done here that it would involve uh, Tua. And um, Dom Constantino from The Score uh, had a, a few words to say about the Dolphins quarterback situation, not in regards to Watson, because again, I think this is all hot air until the legal ramifications and problems are ironed out. But bottom line, Dom had this to say about Tua, the Dolphins in their offense, and where they're headed with this young quarterback. He's one of those guys, and I know he wasn't the only one, but not having the offseason last last season, uh, you know, in particular before training camp, you know, to kind of get acclimated and all of that, you know, it, it just for him in particular may have been may have held him back, back a little bit. It didn't help much that the Dolphins were kind of quick to you know, given the hook and, and, put, and put Ryan Fitzpatrick back in the game, uh, you know, a, a couple of times there. But that may have been to kind of send a message, too. So, you know, now he's got the full off season. You know, now he's got the, the, the sort of the, the, the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, because Fitzpatrick's not on the depth chart in front of him. Um, I'm real curious to see what he's got. You know, when, when the lights come on in two weeks, you know, they open in Foxborough. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious to see what he's got because, he, like you said, like you said, here's a guy who has – everything on paper, you know, what you might want to do, but he, he struggled a bit as a rookie, but we've seen other quarterbacks struggle as a rookie. So I, it's hard to make any sweeping generalizations one way or another, uh, but this is kind of the year he's got to do it because he's the guy. Flores on Tua Raja said he's taken a step as far as leadership and working with his teammates to get things right. He's asking more questions to us as a coaching staff. Situationally, he has made some very good strides, although there's still 
a lot, and I say a lot of room for improvement. Hopefully, we continue to make steps in the right direction. Listen, it's hard for a young quarterback in the National Football League when you're breaking in. We saw Russell Wilson take baby steps in Seattle, although had a ton of success early on, won a Super Bowl. And Miami has some pieces down there for Tua to flourish as well. But it isn't the easiest transition, is it, for a quarterback to adjust to the speed, the size, calling the offense when you move from college football to the pros. No, exactly. And and now you're, you know, it, it's a tough situation for Tua because I think that when I've seen him, he's played decently well this season. And, and Brian Flores has said to your point that he needs to still improve, but he's been confident in how he's played as well. And he's confident that Tua Tungavaloa can have a bounce back season. I wouldn't even call it a bounce back season necessarily, but just necessarily grow and progress and, and get better from his rookie campaign last year. The thing is, it's not enough to, to to completely shut the door about adding another quarterback, especially when a player of the ilk of Deshaun Watson is available. Now, the reasons why he's available aren't obviously the best, and and there it's a complete uh, you know situation that is, uh, in my eyes, any team in the National Football League should stay away from. But at the same time, CMAC, it's the National Football League. What have we seen in from them? What have we learned that? These kinds of things, unfortunately, don't necessarily matter a whole lot that whatever it will do to, to make your team better and whatever that player can do to help your team win, a lot of teams are willing to to look the other way and just bring that player in for a chance at the Super Bowl. And don't get it twisted, the Miami Dolphins have a very good shot at being competitive in the National Football League because they've got a tremendous offense. They've got a great defense, and that's the team that desperately needs a quarterback like a Tua Tungvaloa to play uh, how he was expected to play prior to him coming to the NFL and how do we've seen Deshaun Watson play before with the Houston Texans. So um, it, it's an awkward situation because of the fact that you don't necessarily know exactly what you're going to get from Tua. There is hope that he can progress. There is hope that he can adjust to the speed of the NFL. But at the same time, there's been there's been uh, plays being made that are are also make you question if he is ready and if he's going to be to take be able to take that next step this upcoming season. Yeah, and they're in an awfully tough division as well, the Dolphins, and and mm-hmm. Tua does need to take a step in order for them to uh, flourish. As mentioned, some injuries, big ones on on the in the weekend here in the National Football League, and sorry for all of you who took J.K. Dobbins, someone I really like to uh, take a step this season in his second year with the Ravens. Although, you know, Lamar does most of the running anyways. But John Harbaugh asked, you know, by some people, like, why was he playing in the in the preseason finale? But Harbaugh has emphasized that that's what they do. That's their mentality. Listen, they had an incredible winning streak in exhibition play. Not that they were trying to win games, but they want to get their guys uh, ready. And he tore his left ACL in his left knee in the ninth play of the game. Dobbins did. And Harbaugh was asked, what would he say to fans who wondered, why was Dobbins even in the game? And he basically said, hey, it's a fair conversation. He noted that Dobbins had only played 23 plays with a total of 10 touches in the three preseason games to date. He said there's other teams that play their starters as well, including some in the AFC North. So John Harbaugh not backing off of the decision to put J.K. Dobbins in, 
But uh, as Dom Constantino said, you know, the Ravens now have a big hole to fill in the backfield, although I'm saying jump on the Gus bus and you'll be fine. What's the meme that goes around? Uh, running backs don't matter, you know, and uh, there's some truth to that, but, but and, and it's also something of an exaggeration. But, yeah, the Ravens, I think, are one team that just seems to be institutionally equipped to manage something like this. They've got Gus Edwards. They've got, you know, Tyson Williams. I know they're not every down bell cow backs in the sense that J.K. Dobbins, you know, was going to be for them. But just structurally, I think they'll be able to do things to manage this also, in particular, because they've got a, a you know a Lamar Jackson, a quarterback who's been an MVP in this league, uh, that they can do a lot of things just with with having him part of the running game as well, and a lot of the zone read and and and, and read option kind of stuff. So it's it's bad on paper now here as we sit here at the end of August with two weeks to go, uh, but they are the kind of franchise that has proven in recent years that can weather this sort of thing. Yeah, hindsight being 2020, Raja, I'm sure they'd love to have J.K. Dobbins in the lineup. But as they've proven over the past few years, one of the most frustrating things in fantasy in taking a Ravens running back is not only does Lamar run the ball, but they really do try to do it by committee there. I think maybe we've lost Raja, or he's speechless on the Ravens. Uh, Greg Ballack, have we uh, lost a young Roger? Uh, I've got, I, I had myself muted. Yeah, he just muted back. himself. He, muted. You were yelling and screaming. You said, I took J.K. Dobbins. How can Harbaugh <laughs> play him? As, as mentioned, uh, 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 Roger, I'll tee you up again. They run it by <laughs> committee, and Lamar does most of the running anyways. Lamar does most of the running anyways. Yeah, and you look, if you have had a running back from the Baltimore Ravens on your team before, probably a player named Mark Ingram, then you have been then you've realized that when the ball is near the end zone there that it's going to be a lot of uh, read option plays that Lamar Jackson is just going to throw it in. Uh, or maybe if you're at the one yard line, perhaps you'll see a, a, a run from Mark Ingram or J.K. Dobbins. So it's always been frustrating taking a Baltimore Ravens running back anyways um now however with uh, jk dobbins out and if you had your uh, fantasy draft uh, before i guess uh, this past weekend then that's going to be a little tough uh, in my league however cmac i uh, we got the news just about an hour or two before the draft actually went down so i, I did stay away although there were uh, there was one person who made the mistake and uh, whoever ended up drafting uh, gus edwards uh, i think that's going to be a, a very smart bet that is going to pay off dividends because because, hey, you never know, uh, especially that late in the round, how that player might work out for you. Uh, Craig McEwen, Roger Shergill here on uh, Bick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650, talking a little NFL football. You know, we had the conversation about the Dolphins and what Tua has to do to take a step, and I mentioned it's a very tough division. The Pats looking to, to bounce back, and listen, uh, the hoodie – they loaded up on some tight ends. Some guys came back off the COVID situation where they sat out last year. This team's going to be improved. And again, it's an extremely tough division to navigate. The Pats have been the class of it until the Bills last year. But I would suspect that things are going to be better this time around in New England. But Bill isn't ready to name a starting quarterback yet for the opener against the Dolphins. Uh, Belichick said, no, we still have a lot of decisions to make after Sunday's uh, 22-20 win over the Giants. But in that game, Cam Newton started and played just two series, all of them with the number one team. And then rookie Mac Jones relieved him and played deep into the third with all the backups. So 
you do the math or you look at the situation and it probably tells you that Bill Belichick is tipping his hand here, suggesting that Cam is going to be the starter. Jones is going to be, you know, someone who's going to be on the sidelines learning. He's a first-round pick from Alabama, 15th overall. And he is prepping for however it unfolds. But, yeah, Mac Jones has a really good future. Mac Jones is one of these young quarterbacks drafted this year that has a chance to have a huge impact in the National Football League. But you also have to look at the situation where your teams are – and unlike Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, where they don't really have a chance of doing anything, they they name him the starter. I'm not suspecting that Mac Jones will start the year, but he could see a lot of playing time here. There could be some packages for him. And as Dom Constantino says, there could be some bigger and better things ahead for this young pivot. It's still something they're going to work out here from, from what it sounds like. There was an interesting question asked this morning of Bill Belichick, and I believe it was Tom E. Curran of NBC Sports Boston who asked the question, you know, are you doing this kind of to, to keep you this playing this close to, to the vest to keep other teams in the dark, to keep the Dolphins in the dark for week one? And Belichick's answer was, well, you know, the other players on the team, the other starters probably want to know who's going to be playing in week one. So that, that leads me to believe that, you know, we may see a decision coming, and Tom said this too, that we may see a decision coming by the end of this week. You know, now we have two weeks out until the start of the regular season. So they may not know, but I think they're going to know based on what they do in practice. And as to what you said about your question about Mac Jones, yes, I think he played very well uh, during the preseason, but he was going against backups. He wasn't challenged so much. We didn't have a, you know, a third and long kind of situation where he's got to kind of make a play, put the team on his shoulders sort of thing. Perhaps that's the kind of thing the Patriots work out in practice this week. And, you know, I would expect that perhaps by the end of this week with a week to go, that, that Belichick makes a decision one way or another. But uh, he's not revealing much, that's for sure. Yeah, bet on the hoodie going with Cam Newton, the veteran. Raja, as I mentioned, there's lots of young quarterbacks this year. And I look at it, whether it's Lawrence, Trey Lance, you know, guys are battling. Some are going to get the job. Some are going to be relievers. And I really think it's where your team is in its cycle of, are you a playoff team, a Super Bowl contender? Are you a team that's building towards the future? Is there any one young pivot maybe Mac Jones is your guy that, that you're looking at and going, Hey, I, I want to see how that person does. And, and maybe doesn't start as the number one quarterback, but ends the year that way. Yeah. I'm looking at the windy city. It's just, it's gotta be Chicago. It's gotta be Justin Fields, right? That's the player that you look at and say that the, the bears definitely need to go with uh, Justin Fields as their starting quarterback under center because of the fact that who's the alternative, Andy Dalton, are we really going the with red Andy rifle, Dalton? the red rifle, buddy, the red rifle. <laughs> Here's the thing. You, you finally get under, you get away from Mitch Trubisky and that experiment was a colossal failure. And now you're going to go with somebody who, who is, you know, pretty much perhaps he's better than uh, Mitch. Uh, perhaps Andy Dalton's better than Mitch Trubisky, but at the same time, you know what you've got in Andy Dalton, right? He was the backup last year for the Dallas Cowboys. I ended up playing a lot because of the Dak Prescott injury. But at the same time, you have this new player who has resurged the offense from what you've seen, at least in preseason, from Justin Fields. And you've got a great offense, a, a team with a great offense with uh, Allen Robinson. And you have 
Uh, David Montgomery, I like their O line definitely needs some work, but it's uh, a quarterback in fields who who can run and he's very mobile as well. That's the guy who I want to see and how he can play uh, with this Chicago Bears team and really you know rejuvenate that franchise hopefully. But at the same time, C Mac, we've seen it before. We've seen it with uh, the team that I cheer for in Los Angeles with the Chargers and Justin Herbert not getting the start right away with Tyrod Taylor getting the start in the beginning. Uh, Tua last year with Ryan Fitzpatrick getting uh, a number of starts as well. And, and look, we're going to see more and more of it. Mac Jones is another situation. Trey Lance, perhaps, where Jimmy G is going to start over. A lot of these rookie quarterbacks don't get the starts, but eventually it's probably going to happen with Justin Fields. I can imagine it happening with Trey Lance, uh, that these guys are going to take over the starting role and, and very soon, you know, never like relinquish it again. Andy Dalton saying today that he's embracing the opportunity he's got in Chicago and not too concerned about uh, Justin Fields. You know, I'm focused on me and what I can do, helping this offense, helping this team, he said. So I'm looking forward to week one. Yeah, the Bears are going to have the red rifle under center, it appears, when uh, they visit the Rams on September 12th. Fields will be the backup. Not a huge stunner here, but you're right, Raja, that Fields is the guy that I look at that could very soon, very quickly take things over because he was Nagy's pick. He was the one that they wanted to go out and get. He's the one they went after and moved on. I look at the quarterback situation in Chicago. They've been screaming for a QB since Vince McMahon that they need to get behind, and Justin Fields is that quarterback in my opinion. So we've talked about, the fact that Randeep likes the Dolphins, and we've talked about the fact that Reach dumped the Dolphins for the Seahawks, but Sat Shaw on the People Show coming up here uh, later this afternoon on Sportsnet 650 with Dan Reach and Randeep Janda. So I don't, if Sat's listening right now, I don't want him to feel left out. I I, I want to tee up the Browns, and the Browns to me are are one of those teams that, hey. They are the one that you you go, oh, it's their year, and then they disappoint you. And Sats had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, and shall I say another disappointment. But last year, perhaps they exercised some demons, and uh, Dom, again, our, our NFL insider here, without actually having him on the phone, this is great recycling of content here on Bick and the Boss. Uh, Dom Costantino talked about the Browns and where they're at and why teams uh, should fear Cleveland this coming year. Yeah, that's one of the things with Cleveland. But I, I they, they are, but they did take that that big step forward in a sense last year uh, by not only making the playoffs but going into Pittsburgh, where they have struggled now for twenty years. You know, since they, they they came back as an organization and really laid one on the Steelers and handed one to them in the playoffs there, and then you know had the Chiefs on the brink there for a bit in the in the following round. But you're you're right. They are they. They're a very complete team. They, they invested significantly in the defense, particularly that defensive backfield uh, this offseason. So, you know, with guys like Troy Hill, John Johnson, and, and, and they drafted Greg Newsom there in the first round. So they, you know, Baker Mayfield is really maybe the, you know, the, the, the key or the fulcrum for what the Browns are. You know, is he a quarterback that can elevate this team? You know, he's kind of been a, you know, the, the phrase gets used too often, a system guy you know, who's been able to do a lot of the things that Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski has wanted him to do, but can he elevate them? And, you know, he's playing, he's got a contract he's playing for here a little bit here because he still hasn't signed his extension. So, you know, 
all of that factors into what Cleveland can be, but they, they have the potential really to take the, 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 this, another step forward. But I thought they broke through a little bit last season. Yeah, I agree with that. They did break through last year, Raja. But Dom's right. It's Baker. Can, can Baker cook? You know, we talked about Russ cooking last year. And, and do Bakers cook or do they just bake? I don't know. But Baker Mayfield is the one person to me that that has to be the key for the Browns moving forward and yeah he's a systems guy but don't forget you know uh, we've seen Trent Dilfer win a Super Bowl we've seen Peyton Manning take one in Denver where he had like the worst performance ever as a quarterback if you have a good defense which the Browns do and they've got some guys on offense Nick Chubb you know Odell Beckham Jarvis Landry but in my opinion Raja it falls to what Baker can or cannot do it does fall on Baker, but at the same time, I don't think Baker needs to go out and, and be this, you know, tremendous guy that everybody was hoping he would be, this superstar quarterback that could take this team by storm and, and just take, sorry, take the league by storm and, and be a top five guy in the National Football League. I don't think he necessarily needs to do that. I just think he needs to play a, a very, you know, relaxed game, a, a game that he has kind of shown that he was able to do last year, perhaps a little bit better, but let that defense be able to do their job and when you have the ball on offense be able to sort of you know lead that offense by giving the ball a lot to Nick Chubb handing it also off to Kareem Hunt who they're going to use very well who's going to use a lot as well in the passing game and, and try and just you know be the best version of himself he doesn't need to be a, a superstar quarterback next year I just think he needs to rely on what he's done and, and try and um, and try and you know be a better perhaps reader of plays because that's been his his struggles right he's he hasn't been able to uh look for passes other than his first option i think if he can sort of try and slow down the game a little bit for himself that's all it's going to be for baker because at this point you kind of know what you have with them and if it can be consistent throughout the entire year i think the cleveland browns are in a pretty good spot sat cleveland browns are in a good spot Raja, you can book it. He he said it right there. We're going to hold you to that, Raja. We'll also uh, hold uh, Barkley Parnetta, the Giants' general manager, to the fire. Just kidding, Barkley. Uh, we'll talk some more hockey when we return here on Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Joining us now is the GM of the Giants, Barkley Parnetta. And, uh, Barkley, we're going to talk about the Giants' training camp just around the corner, opening up exciting times. Hopefully, you know, everything's more normal this year. But let's start with the offer sheet and the nastiness and the revenge in Carolina and the Habs. Like, could you ever see – I know there's no offer sheets in the WHL, but people wouldn't be that spiteful in June. Junior hockey, would they? It's quite uh, fascinating theater, isn't it? Well, first off, I'm fired with, fired up with the Greta Van Fleet intro. That's I'm ready to go here. But that's no, uh, Greg Ballack behind the uh, the glass there, making sure. Good job, does. buddy. No, that that it is interesting. Look, it's a dog eat dog world out there. You don't see it that often, but I think that when you're in competition like that, uh, you know they say there's unwritten rules. Well, you know what? The rules are to make your team better, and you got to do what you think is best for your team, right? Barkley, do you think we might see this happen more often? I'm, I'm always a little bit, bit surprised because you said it, it is a dog-eat-dog world. Hockey at your level, uh, the pro game, it's it's win, right? That's what you have to do to win. But we don't see teams use this lever very often. 
And is it because they're worried for this tit-for-tat kind of thing that's happened here in Carolina where Ajo gets an offer sheet? Well, now we go to Cock and Yemi. We, we give him too much money than what he's worth right at this moment, projecting out the future. But are you surprised we, we don't see more of this uh, in the National Hockey League considering how competitive and, and every team is, is trying to do its best to win a Stanley Cup? Uh, I'm I'm not only because like the fraternity of hockey and, and you don't like it when it happens to you. So often people look at it in that sense. Like, do we really want to put ourselves and make ourselves vulnerable? Cause if we're the team doing it, guess what? We're probably going to get it done to us. So, you know what? I, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. And, and I'm not a capologist and I'm not a, uh, a lawyer from Harvard that understands uh, contracts as well as a lot of these people do. And, I think those people are the ones that really sort of steer that more than maybe just the hockey guy like me. Barkley, uh, the Vancouver Giants get uh, some business done earlier uh, in this offseason by getting uh, uh, contracts done with Keith McCambridge, the associate coach. When you just look at your roster this year from the, from the coaching staff perspective, uh, how, uh, how do you view it and, and how does it uh, feel when you look at, around the NHL? And there was an article out a couple of days ago saying that uh, the coaching staff in Vancouver for the Giants is, is one of the best in the entire WHL. Yeah, actually, it was, uh, I think it was the Hockey News or Sports Illustrated now did. They ranked the, the top five development programs in sort of every league in North America, and, and uh, the Vancouver Giants finished third in that, which is, uh, you know, it's really a testament to the ownership and the quality of the people that go through the organization, and, and it really starts with the coaches who are molding the minds of these young players. Obviously, Keith McCambridge is way overqualified to be here as an associate coach. We've got a coach who's on Team Canada World Junior Team staff, uh, you know, and to have players to help them understand what it's going to take to get there and to have a guy that's been there as a head coach in the AHL. So these guys know it's for real. Like when he says something, he lived it. So what he's saying isn't what he thinks it's going to be. It's actually what it is. And I think that's an advantage, uh, and it certainly helps us in developing kids and recruiting. Barkley Parnetta joining us here on Bick and the Boss, GM of the Vancouver Giants. I, I talked about maybe some uh, normalcy this year for your hockey team, which we can all hope in the world that we get there. But your coaching staff, your players did one heck of a job last year in a very difficult and trying situation where you, you go to a bubble for, I don't know, I was talking to Dan O'Connor. He said it was like six 61 months. 61 days, 61 days. Yeah, 61 days. Maybe not six months, but Dan said, you know, you guys did a great job of working with your, your players and having activities and all that. But how difficult was that? from the organization standpoint of keeping everyone focused on the prize, keeping them in line. Cause you got to remember that some of these guys, and I use this term knucklehead affectionately, they're, they're young kids and all that, but that must've been so, so difficult. And, and how much better are you as a club and an organization for your players to have gone through that? Well, I, I mean, a lot of questions there. I think that first off, like the initial euphoria of getting in there and getting playing finally and lucky enough to play and, and, the government allowing us to play, just we're so excited. And, and I really don't think we saw any negative sort of impact until maybe, you know, eight weeks in, seven or eight weeks where you kind of hit the hump where, okay, it's the same thing every day. The meal rotation's going and, and you know, you're, we were limited. We couldn't, we were only in the, in the hotel or the rink across the street or we went to Kelowna there. I think we ended up going four times or six times. So it, it, it was it was challenging, but it was funny because when it all ended, everybody was sad. 
like there was a point in time where you could have said to anybody, are you ready to go home? They would have been, yeah. But then when it actually happened, everybody wanted to stay because it really was good. And, and our staff did a great job. I mean, I was in there for the whole 61 days with their crew and it was, it, it, it I don't want to say it was easy, but it was easier than people might think in the sense that we had a really good setup. We had a great facility to practice, good hotel, really good food. And we actually had a lot of fun together. It was, it was kind of like having a, a 61 day sleepover when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way of putting it Raja uh, Barkley uh, you know some news being made uh, here uh, with in Abbotsford with the Abbotsford Canucks signing a couple of members of uh, the Vancouver Giants and, and Alex Kanek-Leeper the captain and Tristan Nielsen as well uh, what can fans I guess of, of the Abbotsford Canucks and, and people that are going to be watching the the American Hockey League uh, here uh, here in Vancouver or here in the Lower Mainland expect from those two young kids well i think uh, obviously they both bring different dynamics and both different positions you know tristan is a pretty exciting player he can sort of electrify electrify things at times he's a really solid kid a durable guy he never missed a game the only game he missed for the vancouver giants was a game he was suspended for and he throws his body out there like anybody else like he is he's hard he hits and he takes hits, and he really is a, a durable player and, and like i said i think he has more upside offensively than people give him credit for. And his speed, obviously, is something that will even stand out at that level. And Alex Kanek-Liepert is just the, just the competitive nature that he has and the edge he brings. Uh, you know what? Even at that level, he's going to create space for himself. And he's sort of one of those underappreciated guys that you may not notice him for toe-dragging a guy and going top shelf, but all of a sudden you start to watch him and all the little details of his game, which – mean even more in pro than they do in junior because in junior you're still sometimes stronger or bigger and, and as you move up that gap closes and that's what the fans will be able to see in him and and, and, and efforts from both of them every single night both those kids leave it on the ice. Uh, Barkley Parnetta GM of the Vancouver Giants joining us here on Sportsnet 650. Last week did the morning show with Joey Ken where we had Milan Lucic on you know Lucic's won a Stanley Cup, a Memorial Cup with you guys, played over a thousand NHL games. And now we talk about, you know, the Canuck Leapers and Tristan Nielsen's looking to get to their first NHL game. You mentioned it before about the organization and the development and how many uh, ex-Giants have, have gone on to, to bigger and better things in this game. How much pride is there as an organization to see these players uh, go on and have solid pro careers. And in other cases, some go on to university, do great things, doctors, lawyers, all that sort of stuff. How, how much pride is it for you and, and owner Ron Toygo when, when you see these, these guys play a thousand games or look for their first NHL game? Well, it's, there's a ton of pride. Like whether a player graduates from the solder school of business at UBC or moves on to pro, it, it's, it, it, it's nice to see when kids can start and finish in your program. You have a culture, you have an identity, and they're able to sort of go out in the community and be part of that. So uh, we're all super proud of that. And the, the traditions and the expectations and the standards are really high. And, like, we're not just dealing with hockey players here. We're, we're doing life skills with the kids. We're teaching them other things aside from that. And if they can go out and make the world better, like, honestly, as cliche as that sounds, I think we've done our job and, we are extremely proud of what we're doing here. I certainly know that I am. That's for sure. Uh, Barkley, you know, you, 
Barkley, when you look at sorry, C-Mac, when you look at the uh, the roster upcoming uh, for your franchise, and and even the you know the the past season, Zach Ostopchak, another player that gets drafted into the National Hockey League, and there's a a handful of others as well. The experience that your team brings this year, how can you uh, uh, just speak to that and and how this team is is really uh, using that experience from the bubble last season into this upcoming year? Well, I mean, we have a lot of guys that sort of bonded, and we had some typically kids that wouldn't have been on our team last year because their age, like the Mazden Leslie, wouldn't have been. He would have only maybe played five games if it was a typical season. I think he ended up playing 19, and, and certainly the adjustment for some of these younger guys will be a little bit easier, but they also don't realize that the bubble season was a little different. There's no travel. It's the grind wasn't there of riding the bus to Prince George and playing a game and then coming back a day later and playing somewhere else. So there will be a little adjustment. I think the group as a whole learned who each other were and they believed in, in, in each other. I think that that group of kids that comes here mixed in with a new group of kids would be a really good mix. Cause I think that, Again, expectations from Michael Dick are high. Keith McCambridge are high for these players. And, you know, they want to make them accountable. But right away, when you've got the majority of the group that understand what you're doing, everybody else just kind of falls in line. Barkley, uh, training camp opening up this weekend. Uh, normal as normal can be exhibition. <laughs> Walk us through what lies ahead for your club over the next weeks to come before the start of the regular season. Well, I, I mean, I'll be honest. We've been meeting with the staff here and the biggest thing I'm telling our group is we need to be prepared for anything. Uh, typically we might have uh, 60 or to 80 kids at a training camp. This year we're not, we haven't seen some of the players that are, are on our protected list for 18 months, play a game. Uh, you know, we have a couple kids that played in the States. They had a full allotment where they played 60 or seven games, but or 60 or 70 games. But we also have midget players that played four games in midget. So, Really, it's sort of a reset. We don't want to burn them out. It'll be a lighter schedule, but it's going to be a lot more practice, skill-oriented with some games mixed in. And, and again, we just have to be ready to pivot with everything because this whole, you know, the changes and, and restrictions and, and COVID, uh, you know what? They're challenging at times, but again, as long as we stay positive, deal with what we have. And, and we are going to face changes. That's the biggest thing. Nobody really knows exactly what it's going to look like, but we just have to do our best to make sure we stay on track and we stay healthy and we keep playing. Uh, Barkley, thanks for doing this. Best of luck with the preseason and the regular season coming up. Really appreciate the time and insight. And, uh, yeah, hoping that you're going to prepare for everything, but everything could be uh, maybe a little more normal this year for you. Well, even our training camp schedule, it's subject to change. And I think you're going to see that that phrase will become pretty common with things, just an event uh, to be prepared. But you know what, you guys, I, I missed being on there. If it's been a while, I appreciate coming on. And I think Bo, I know that you guys mentioned Joey Kenward there. I think uh, there might be a, a, a Bo and Byron uh, interview coming up with Joey Kenward soon if I uh, hear from my sources are correct. Great. But, Good tease. We need to get yeah, you in the, the host chair. Well, well done. All right, guys. Thanks, Barkley. Appreciate it. Take care. Barkley Parnetta there spilling the beans. Apparently, Raja Bowen Byram might be joining Joey Kenward and Adam Forsythe this week. So that, that'll be must-listen-to radio. And, and it's nice to hear the, the, the Giants. It's not the norm that we're used to, but 
here's an organization like, you know, all junior hockey teams, like all pro hockey teams struggled through the pandemic for the past couple of years. And, and nice to hear that they're, they're on the road to uh, getting things back to where they, they could or should be, assuming it's not subject to change. Exactly. Lots of hockey that we could be watching in person uh, across British Columbia, right, C-Mac? Here, here in the Fraser Valley, you've got the Abbotsford Canucks, you've got the Vancouver Canucks downtown, and then uh, the Vancouver Giants as well. So we'll, we'll be able to uh, watch a lot of hockey, hopefully in person, as in as, uh, as normal circumstances as possible. That's great to see. And also uh, can confirm that uh, Bowen Byram's name is in the uh, producer uh, chat that we have here on Sports 650. Well, yeah, and you, you would know that because after this show is over, the people show coming up at the top of the clock, you'll be uh, producing that one. I won't get you to tease who's coming on there. We'll, we'll save that for a moment. But before we uh, stop talking here on a Monday, let, let's get into some baseball a little bit. The the, the Jays uh, winning two of three on the weekend, and now they face the the worst team in all of baseball, the the Orioles. <laughs> And they get a little bit of a boost here, uh, Raj. Uh, it, it looks like George Springer is activated, is going to DH for them. We'll also bring Greg Balk into the conversation because he knows more about baseball than all of us uh, combined, you and I, Raja. But uh, with Springer coming back, the Jays' playoff hopes, you know, diminishing quite a bit over this recent slide they've had. But, hey, you win a couple against the Tigers, and now, hey, if you can sweep the O's, who knows what happens. Uh, Greg, your thoughts on where the Jays are and how big of a boost it will be for Springer to come back? Well, Springer coming back, it's time to go win the World Series, right? Isn't that how it works? Nice, nice, (laughs) nice. Look at you going out on a limb. (laughs) Every Mariners fan just flicked the channel right now to the the next one. But yes, it's uh, it's a big boost, obviously, with with the stretch that they're in. It hasn't been fun to watch. I don't think any Jays fan has enjoyed the last you know, month of the season. It's it's been frustrating on so many levels because they're in most games, but they just find a way to lose. And you look at their run differential, they're still triple digits in the positives, which is unbelievable for a team as out of it as they are. Uh, I, I still think there's a there's a minute chance. I think it's about five percent according to the stat websites, but uh it's just gonna be nice to see Springer back in the lineup and and, and if they are gonna make the playoffs, it's with Springer in the lineup. Yeah, totally agree. And Raja, the, the bats have gone a little silent, which is kind of funny because for most of the year it was the pitching that was the problem, especially the bullpen. But the offense isn't clicking as it once was, but maybe facing the lowly O's will be the tonic to, to get them jump started and, and get a miracle run going here. We'll hope so because, you know, the the great part about watching them all season long was how dynamic that offense truly was and how exciting it was to watch everybody get to the plate and and just hit home runs on home runs. And, uh, you know, now C-Mac, they're sitting five and a half games back, I believe. And, you know, it's going to be tough, but to get the O's uh, in uh, a handful of games now coming up, it's great because, look, they have some tough matchups after this series, right? Oakland is up next, and then they've got the Yankees as well. So it's going to be uh, a tough in the next couple of weeks, but it's also going to make for a, a very ent- a very interesting, a very entertaining uh, end to the baseball season here. And Balak, really, when you look at it, five and a half out of the wild card, I think the M's are four and a half, the A's are in between. It, the number seems, okay, that's difficult, but it, it's more 
to the fact that they have a couple teams ahead of them. If there's just one team or none and they were trying to chase down someone, it's better. But when you have to jump over multiple teams to get to the postseason, that's where it becomes really tricky because you can't count on both those teams ahead of you losing at the same time. It, it just gets frustrating, confounding, and also very tough to make up ground in that situation. Yeah, I think the Rays, you can pretty much sign that off. They're, they're not going to catch them, but they do play the Yankees coming up, and they the Jays actually have a really easy schedule for the latter part of this season. And I, I I don't think a lot of people realize that going into it, but you're right. They play the Orioles coming up. There's a lot of opportunities to make up some ground, but they've dug such a hole. I, I really don't know if they have it in them to, to get out of this hole that they're in. Cause like you said, you got to jump on the shoulders of two, three other teams to get over the top. So uh, they, hopefully they make it interesting. Hopefully they make it worthwhile because I think as a baseball fan, and as a Jays fan for the last while, you, you just want exciting baseball towards the end of the season. I think they can still provide that, but the chances of them actually making it are, are pretty slim. Yeah, but they, they still do have a chance. And, and in looking back at it, I was super pumped when they came out of that first homestand. They, they, they won a, a number of games. They looked like they had turned the corner. And bottom line, Raja, they, they come out of Toronto and head to the West Coast and, and really stumble in Anaheim and, and the Seattle trip where there weren't the usual amount of Blue Jay fans down there because the border was closed to drive anyways. You could only fly in. That was really their undoing. It put them in the wrong direction and has been the catalyst for the slump that they've currently are on. No, completely. And uh, you know what? It, it would have been great. I remember a couple of weeks ago when they were in Seattle, it would have been so amazing to go down there and actually watch uh, some baseball. I was looking forward to it. I remember in July talking about the possibility of that happening. It never ended up uh, never ended up happening. But uh, you're right. Since then, it's kind of been a little bit of a downward spiral for Toronto. But you hope that, uh, as Greg mentioned, that you have some entertaining baseball down the stretch here. And uh, again, that could start off today in the the next hour or so as they take on these this Orioles team. Well, in the next few minutes, not an hour, in the next few minutes, the People's Show returns as uh, the boys are back from holiday, minus their producer, Bick, because that's why, Roger, you're doing his job, both here on the air and producing. Doing a great job filling his shoes, by the way. Uh, what, what do we got coming up with uh, Dan, Sat, and Randy? Well, it's been a wild week here in Vancouver, uh, C-Mac with the Vancouver Whitecaps and uh, they fired head coach Mark Dos Santos and we will talk to Alex Schuster. The boys will talk to Alex Schuster, the sporting director. You mean Axel, Axel, get the name right. Come on, Axel Roger. Schuster. Not, not Alex, Axel are, you, Schuster. are you an Axel on first name? You're going, uh, yes, come on, Axel Schuster. Axel Schuster. Yes. He'll be joining the boys uh, 4 p.m. Uh, after that, Justin Bourne from Sportsnet will dive uh, deeper into the uh, Yasperi Kotkaniemi conversation and then also wrapping up the preseason of the National Football League with Seth Galina that, at 6 p.m. today. I am shocked that Riccio wants to talk soccer. That just blows me away. I didn't think he liked the sport. <laughs> no, I, I hadn't even heard he was a fan. I, 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 that's that's why he was butchering all those names, right? And some guy named Cristiano Ronaldo apparently is now off of uh, Juventus, and he was, you know, having takes about that. I don't know. Re but, reached uh, in like be... Ronaldo and Juventus, so he's probably happy yeah. to see him go back to United. <laughs> exactly. He is. He's very excited, and I'm sure that uh, we're not going to get a shortage of, of him talking about Ronaldo and uh, obviously with the Whitecaps as well. So a lot of soccer uh, talk, I would assume, is coming up on the People's Show. Yeah, and hockey and some football. It's a smorgasbord of sports talk by three of the best in the business, uh, Dan, Sat, and Randeep. That's a wrap 
for Bick and the Boss here on a Monday on Sportsnet 650. We thank you all for listening. Uh, hey, Raja and I will be back tomorrow. Raja doing double duty again. So uh, please do tune in tomorrow between 1 and 3 p.m. Next up, The People Show. Dan Satin Rat Deep here on Sportsnet 650.